0: Welcome to Disruptors, the podcast for bright sparks fueled by great ideas that have changed the world. In each episode, we chat with some of the most innovative disruptors from our community at the King's Entrepreneurship Institute. We discover how they've used their entrepreneurial skills to develop their ideas for their business ventures, tested those ideas and compelled others to do the same. Hi everyone and welcome back to Disruptors. My name is Rachel Stocky. I am Head of Entrepreneurial Skills at the King's Entrepreneurship Institute. We are King's College London's dedicated hub to entrepreneurship and innovation and today I am joined by Savs Tan, our Expert in Residence for Investment. Hi Savs. Hi Rachel, how are you? Good, thanks. How are you doing?
1: Yeah, doing doing good today. Thumbs out, so I'm happy.
0: Yes, very, very much so. It's been a bit grey recently, hasn't it? Yeah. So, would you like to tell our lovely listeners a little bit about you and your um, journey into investment? Yeah, sure. Um,
1: it's not a very typical journey, so by no means take this as this is the blueprint for what investors look like. You'd probably think we're all mad, but um, I um, I've been working in venture investment for the last kind of six seven years, uh, working very closely with early stage startups, right from when they form all the way through to sort of series A, sometimes series B. Um, And I really got into it um, in a funny way. So I studied languages at university um, and really wanted to be in the diplomatic service and kind of work for the foreign office and stuff. Um, And I had a a, kind of a a short stint um, with with some work experience doing just that, but then decided it really wasn't for me. So did, did the typical thing, went into kind of some form of consulting um and learn a lot about um tech and startups through through that role so we did a lot of work with um instagram and facebook that kind of thing and then i started to work on smaller startups um, and then kind of got to know a group called entrepreneur first when they first started out uh, and ended up being their sixth employee um, and joining them to help build companies from scratch which is kind of where I, i i learned all of this and as we grew and added on an investment arm everyone got involved myself included um and uh that's that's kind of how i first got into it all um and now i work for a fund called Isomer capital um and then obviously support the um the, the european ecosystem through through that and that sounds really grand that's like just me in the european ecosystem not true but um <laughs> you know I, I i i love working with kind of european startups um, and it's such an interesting, such an interesting place to be at the moment because there's lots of different ways in which companies can scale, um, and um, because I tend to work with startups at a later stage now in my day-to-day life, uh, I love working with kind of Kings Twenty um, and also lots of entrepreneurs that that kind of flood my LinkedIn inbox um, because I'm interested to to learn more about those early stages and those formative years because um, I think that's kind of where One, lots of mistakes are made, but lots of valuable lessons are learned.
0: Awesome. So you've led me right into what we were gonna talk about today, because we've talked a bit about Idea Factory as a kind of early stage idea competition. And we get a lot of students, staff, and alumni coming to us saying, I have an idea. I've done absolutely nothing with it yet. Um, I don't know what I should be doing first. And often that conversation includes comments about investment really early and I wondered if you could give us your thoughts on when somebody comes to you and says I've got an idea I'm going to go out for investment what your first kind of thoughts are when you have those sorts of conversations well you're kind of you're talking about two different things that having
1: an idea and going out for investment are two very different things so that's the that's the first thing Um, I think if someone comes to me and and says that the first thing I do is say great what's your idea tell me a bit about it and you know, I'm not the world expert in every field and neither is any investor, but you ask some basic questions to figure out whether you've gone beyond just having that thought in your head. Um, and have you gone out to people who you know, are either within that target market or within that sector um, and talked a bit about kind of the, the solution that you're creating, essentially, um, and what that feedback has been? And equally, I also want to understand, OK, great, you've got this wonderful idea. Let's say it's for MedTech. Um, why do you think you're a really great person to build this? Um, because anybody can think of ideas. And, you know, I I am I'm, I'm famously into tough love when it comes to kind of ideas and startups um, and uh, say that ideas are in my view cheap anyone can have them but not everyone can execute them so what gives you kind of the the edge or the expertise in a certain area to really understand it to really understand that sector that problem and to therefore build the right solution for it so it's just about asking those basic things and then when people want to go out for investment I think that's that's great Um, all investors want are super motivated people working on exciting problem that Really, they are uniquely positioned to solve. Um, But the thing with investment is I don't think people realise, one, you know, investors are looking either for certain metrics or for a certain uh, background and expertise that's relevant to, to a problem you're solving. And the second thing is that, you know, investment comes with strings attached. I think people often see investment as the goal. And what I say is that it's one step on a very long journey towards building a great company. And it definitely comes with these huge strings attached. You know, finding the right investor is like finding someone to spend your life with. Um, It's difficult, it's painful, and there'll be a ton of awful things you experience along the way. Um, And you want to kind of minimize those awful things. And the way you do that from the investor's point of view is through data so we try and understand as much as we can about you about the idea that you're working on and beyond that idea how it sits within a sector to see whether it's something we'd be really excited by.
0: So we use the term or I have heard the term used a lot what it means to be investment ready do you have a sort of way of describing what it means to you for a company or a startup to be investment ready it's different
1: at different stages but for argument's sake let's say that it's the very first round of funding right Mm
0: -hmm. um
1: it would be i think at a point where you know your customers or your potential customers at least really well and I don't mean kind of by name what I mean is you know kind of their habits you know kind of what what it is that they find painful about you know what currently exists out there and what they would really like from you Um, and you also have kind of perhaps um, you've tested out something in some way so you know in the past um, um, that you know there's almost kind of two different types of products there's more kind of your b2b SaaS products and then there's things which are more b2c so when i say b2b i mean like you know a solution for a business uh, b2c kind of a solution for a consumer like like you or I. A um, a company that i worked with in the past um helps uh preschool children learn um english as a second language um, they did a really amazing thing where um they they had kind of like a, a test version what it was they wanted to create and essentially it was like a powerpoint right but they wanted to see people's reactions or children's reactions to it and and get an idea for you know if they were to build this out into uh an app or a program what it would look like and they had some really good um early data on you know what the simplest version of their final product did and could look like for people so if you've got things like that that's great if you've got customer interest that's wonderful um, as well so I, I would say kind of those two things are sort of leading indicators uh, really of someone being investment ready um, I think taking on investment and needing money are two very different things and you know, you know this from me we often talk about we often talk about kind of what that nuance is um, and working capital is slightly different from taking on investment where you're actually trying to like Taking in that, that, that money from an investor would mean hyper growth in some way. So it would mean you could hire two extra people to like triple your sales. It could mean that you can invest more in your product so that you can get it to the stage that you know your customers want it to get to uh, because you've already got some proof points for it. So it's to kind of enable you to not just take a step up, but kind of take a
0: couple of steps up quite quickly. So for those people that are at their really, really early stages, what are the things that they can start doing from day one that will make the either the decision to take on investment, whether they want to or not, or the road to investment a little bit smoother? So I, I would rephrase that question and think about, okay, well, what can
1: they do to test out whether they should start a startup or not? Because yeah. to be honest, if... If, don't don't make the goal investment is what I always say. Like I am a secondary actor to everything that you do. You're the stars of the show, and your your customers are the audience, right? So, um, I would say, if you have an idea, the best thing you can do is go out there and start to test it out. And what I mean by that is go and talk to people you think are your customers. Um, and there's a fantastic book that. Um, I read and, um, you know, on the recommendation of, of some founders, actually, and now recommend to most other founders called the Mum Test.
0: Um, and <laughs> it's, it's one of our most recommended resources. It
1: is so good because it, it is simple. It's not patronising. And it tells you about the psychology of asking questions. So for anybody that is at all kind of like sceptical, it really breaks things down. For Like if you say to somebody that you know really well, this is my idea. Nobody will turn around to you and say like, oh, crap. Well, and and you have to kind of evaluate both kind of the person who who you're questioning. So would they would they be the kind of person who'd, you'd want to use this product anyway or service anyway? Um, and second of all, um, you know, are they saying something out of love, out of friendship, out of whatever? Um, you know, it's a it's a really good resource to kind of understand one whether your idea is any good but also more than is the idea any good um you know in what are the things that people want to solve a particular problem and is your idea kind of hitting any of those and if it isn't you can kind of reformulate what you're doing so I would say first that customer development go and kind of talk to people second thing would be well what is the the minimum thing that I need to now now that I've spoken to people test out this on 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 some users um, and think about kind of your minimum viable product and that could be as simple as you know um, a powerpoint as i mentioned earlier it doesn't have to be a full-blown prototype you don't have to pay a development team to sort of develop it there are so many no and low code platforms out there that you could also try and use so i would say the next step is then to get the people that you ask questions to, to use something and just carry on getting that feedback and and getting people close to what you're doing and bought into your your vision.
0: You mentioned before about finding the right people to solve the right problems. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of statistics and data out there that show the team is often the thing that will break a startup or the reason Mm -hmm. that they won't succeed. In your experience, what is it that you look for in a team that makes you think, yes, you are the right people? Lots of things that are obvious and lots of things
1: that are non-obvious. And this is, I think the COVID-19 pandemic has made something slightly difficult to test. So, you know, before um, you make an investment, you spend a lot of time with that team and seeing the dynamic between them. And often you can't see that in a Zoom call, um, but you know how how do they split responsibility between them? How do they how do they kind of talk about one another? Um, can you see in body language kind of obvious things around sort of um, disagreement or respect or all of these sorts of like nuances? Um, and then I think you know often you will look towards prior examples of success um as an indicator of you know well could they bring that same like i don't know don't know why vim and vigor is going through my head but like (laughs) i guess that to to this role um and and have they had any experience in the areas in which they want to build or want to create um uh that, that could help them through this so for example you don't have to have a technical background, but um, I've seen some amazing founders who, you know, may have worked at a few startups in different types of roles um, and may have worked possibly in one startup that has really grown where they had a lot of responsibility over a particular area. So one a founder that I know, you know, um, had always wanted to start something, worked at Deliveroo and um, helped to kind of scale 40 locations joined as the first employee of another startup um, and, and, and took that through to quite a reasonable stage um, and then decided to build something of their own but in a different sector but what I could see is this is somebody who one can work on the consumer side of things two has done things operationally to help scale a business before um, and three you know all the references from the startups been like yeah you know, just takes ownership. All these sorts of things to show, okay, they've got like leadership quality. So those are some previous indicators before. But then there are non-obvious ones too. So I'm, I'm going to stop rambling in a minute. But one thing that um we found at, at EF just you know once and it was quite funny was that a lot of people that had done quite well in the program had um you know uh, achieved achieved highly in a particular area uh, that that might not be anything to do with Um, tech or business at all so we had some people that were amazing ballroom dancers or had you know uh, played music to a really really high level and explored things for themselves and I think that sort of self-starter attitude is a really positive indicator towards somebody that's got get up and go because you know there's that popular saying that running a startup is like eating glass whilst kind of like you know chewing glass whilst like staring into the to, the to the to the nothingness out there i think it's kind of true at times so you need to know you can push yourself
0: mm. that's really interesting because i think we talk a lot about um on developing entrepreneurial skills that you can kind of mm. extract from the world of entrepreneurship and then apply to any context and i think often uh entrepreneurs can be put on a bit of a pedestal as if like you're born with this super flair um absolutely and and actually we find that that's not necessarily true and you can develop your kind of eye for entrepreneurship you can build your skills over time you can get that through experience and it's not necessarily things that you learn always by starting a startup so it's interesting to hear that you find you find that in other places in music in creative subjects that um, aren't always you know the hard fast numbers build things do this do that um so no, I not 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 at all and you know I think
1: all the things that you're saying um around kind of building skills a lot of it is to do with building awareness of yourself and actually your your shortcomings and you know the the the, when I think about teams like really great founding teams or really great co-founding kind of pairs or you know whatever um what I think about is okay well what do you have in abundance that maybe your co-founders don't or and I'd flip that question around, like what is you know person X really good at, and they bring to the table more so than person Y or or you really you know um, everyone should have an awareness of their of their skills. And I think so much of it also comes down to communication. Um, you have to have so many tough conversations as an entrepreneur or as even a member of a founding team, you know, a really really early team there'll be things that happen that you think that is not acceptable or this is not how things should be communicated and what what is going on here but you can't afford to let things just stew you have to be able to discuss it and so a lot of what I spent my time on and, and continually do that with founders is to be like this is how you can have tough conversations with one another and also with yourself because you have to always question whether you are are where you're meant to be at the
0: same time Mm. i'm interested in um trends in investment we've had we have a women entrepreneurs program at king's that specifically helps women build their idea to the point that they could apply for king's 20 and we know that we started that program in response to a lack of female entrepreneurs um, and there's a plenty of different records that show a stupidly small percentage of venture, cap- venture capital funding goes to women-led teams and a fraction of a fraction of that funding goes to women of color. In your kind of role in your career, have you seen a tide change around that yet? Or are you seeing things that are reasons to see hope in the future of venture capital funding in moving away from investing in the same people all the time?
1: Yeah, I think seeing movement in the right direction. So um, there's definitely kind of glimmers of hope out there, for sure, a lot more research has been done on, okay, well, what makes a successful team? And, you know, often people point to the fact that it's, you know, there is a, a, a woman on a team so, you know, and those are more statistically likely to do better in the long run. Or, you know, if you have people of colour and, and people of different kind of backgrounds, you are bringing in lots of different types of experiences. And, you know, I I probably don't look like your typical investor I'm, uh, for venture capital. You know, I'm a woman, I'm a woman of colour and mixed background. Um, and one of the reasons why I'm so keen to do the job that I do is because often if you can't, see people who look like you you don't feel it's for you and my I guess kind of underlying mission I didn't think we'd get kind of super deep but here we go is is that you know I want entrepreneurship to to feel like it can be for everybody um and I think having different types of faces and different backgrounds so you know whether that's an ethnic background whether it is kind of class related I know that's very British to think about um, uh, whether you're from a different part of the country, you should always feel that, you know, this is somewhere that you can excel or at least explore. Um, so I think there are and, you know, we've seen, I think, in the last sort of I, I meet a lot of funds uh, week on a weekly basis and the focus of funds has changed as well. So, you know, I think people are being much more overt about the fact that they are looking at underrepresented founders and underrepresented teams so like historically underrepresented and hopefully that will change but it's it's good for that to be recognized and you know what i like to dig into when i meet those funds is wow that's 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 fantastic that you've got this mission so how how are you how are you solving this where are you looking for companies um you know a lot of vcs at least in the uk tend to be london centric how can you kind of go beyond that how are you building networks in other areas of the uk and other areas of europe to kind of tackle this problem and um you know you've stuck this kind of flag in the in the ground to say that you're doing you're doing this um uh, tell me about your impact so far so i think it's one of those things which is kind of starting and i just don't want it to become buzzwordy. so it's always good to to challenge it and ask questions and you know what i would say to to founders female founders to anybody who is underrepresented or unsure whether this is for them um when you're seeking investment definitely you know ask questions of your investors too um to to make sure that they're doing what they what they say they're, they're going to do um so that you know that it's a, a genuine thing rather than a marketing ploy and that sounds really cynical but um i think it's just part of basic what we call due diligence where you're you're finding things out
0: I think that's so true. I think I have a lot of conversations with early stage founders that are going into their investment journey and they talk as if they don't have any power in the situation, like they're just um, the investors hold all of the power and that they just are gonna need to accept whatever terms and conditions kind of come their way, or they're gonna have to say yes to the first people that offer them a chance or that they don't have the negotiating power in that conversation. And I think, I don't think that's necessarily true. If you've got a cracking idea, the investors will want to get involved and that they should have to compete for, for your equity, that's your power. But what would you say to those those people that are feeling not confident going into negotiations?
1: So I described earlier, you know, getting getting to know investors or, you know, actually taking on investment as a, as a marriage, and the the best ones are ones where you have some kind of um you have like an equal footing and you always have you always have a choice i think in these situations who you take money from and you know how you take that money you know and and whilst you might not have 14 million kind of behind you and an investor might and be able to kind of wield that power, you're the one running the business. And actually, day to day, they will want to know that, you know, you've got this, you know your worth, and, um, you know, you're you're able to kind of have a deal that suits you and your team for the future. And there's no one's trying to cheat you out of anything. You know, I think it's important to say, okay, so maybe most investors are not trying to cheat you out of anything at all. It's not a trick. Um, uh, And you want to find a deal that suits both people and that you're that you're really really happy to carry on working in that way um and there's ways to test out that relationship as well you know you can get an offer of investment very early and feel like oh i should take it because i'll never get this chance again but i think the thing with negotiation is that the only pressure you put is the pressure on yourself usually to kind of get something done because you're worried it will slip away well I think the thing is the power that entrepreneurs have is that the the more you work on your startup, the better it kind of gets. So, you know, use that starting point of meeting someone and really getting to know them to actually get to know them, understand how they work, what they're like as people and do your research, you know? So I love it when I have a meeting and someone's like, I've done a bit of research on you, like X, Y, and Z. And I'm like, okay, there's probably too much information on me you know, out there on the internet, so going to do, something, <laughs> do something about that. But second of all, actually, it shows you want to be in this meeting with me because you can see something that I can offer you. You know, they are, investors offer money in, in return, hopefully for getting a great return on their investment. But, you know, if you can see that a particular investment firm or even a partner or an associate there has got some experience that you don't have but you guys really need you know I think that's really really valuable and you should push for people that have expertise and money particularly in the early days where you kind of need to grow your network um, and sort of grow sort of your mind and the way that you think in the best way possible and surround yourself with people who can help you with that so if I look at you know any personal investments that I've ever made you know normally obviously it's through through a fund um i've known some of those entrepreneurs for like many years before i will part with any money because there's this feeling of trust we've worked together they know what i'm like they know kind of what i can offer and they want some of that and equally i can see what they do and i want to be a part of it so definitely test out that the relationship by doing things in practice The other thing is ask them about their other investments. You know, Um, can you talk to people that um, they've invested in um, and, you know, where it's worked out and also where it hasn't worked out? I think it's really important to find out what the best case and potentially what the worst case is like um, to get a a full context on on this person or these people that you're entering into effectively um, a 10 year plus contract with. Um, and I think it's important to highlight that that um, yes, it's money for a particular investment round, but the, the life cycle of a fund is usually kind of ten years seven to ten years and they will they will kind of be in your lives until you know g- your company exits or you know you know whether it's a positive exit or, or, or you know it, it doesn't work out. So mm-hmm. um, you've got to know you can support each other in good times and bad.
0: What role do you think, or what good does it do when you have companies that come to you that have come from universities? So where obviously King's Colleges, Entrepreneurship Institute, what, does that make a difference when companies come to you seeking investment? Does that kind of add credibility? What does it do when you're having that initial conversation? I don't think it really changes my approach too much or my thoughts.
1: I'm really fascinated by people that would start a company at university, particularly as sort of undergraduates or master students or actually, I'm just, yeah, I'm just, I'm just really interested by, by what would drive someone to start a company in the first place. Um, a, An old intern of mine who uh, now runs a, a company dropped out of King's, he was in computer science and, and, and has raised money for his company. And, There was just like this compulsion where he knew he was going to do it anyway, so why wait? And um, I'm really interested to see kind of what your education has taught you, such that you would want to kind of take that step. Um, Does it add credibility? It's a nice logo to put on a slide, but from a personal point of view, I'm really trying to see beyond that. And I think part of wanting to support all founders or give all sorts of founders a shot is... You know, you, you you look at those logos, but you want to find out the person behind them and, mm. and what it is that they're building. So I don't really take too much notice of it, but I know that, you know, for, for some people, it really, it really does matter where you went to
0: university or where you went to school even, um, but not for me so much. And what would you say you found out from behind the logo? Obviously, you've worked with us as the Entrepreneurship Institute for a while now and you've got to see essentially behind the curtain of what that logo represents for us what would you say has been your experience of working with the Kings 20 and with the other companies that come through Kings? You know I think that the the Kings
1: entrepreneurs that I've worked with have been really I think tenacious and go-getting you know in the face of some quite difficult circumstances so I've formally started doing stuff with you guys in September of last year and was in every week and then rapidly the situation changed kind of from February onwards so I have seen people not, not struggle and flail but kind of have to reset themselves and keep going and I just think that's a really admirable quality I'm sure you'd find that in lots of other university entrepreneurs but I think having seen that up close with King's it's been that's been a really kind of that's been like a particular joy because I think so much is standing in your way um when circumstances are not to your advantage and are out of your control but but you know what I what I said to kind of all of all the startups that I worked with is that what are the things that are in your control what can you do about them and you know I think they've either taken that advice to heart or um you know have have just kind of got on with it and 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 made sure that they're making the best of the situation um that has been really impressive
0: yeah I think uh we've all had to show a bit of more resilience this year
1: than, than we were
0: expecting yeah and,
1: and you know it's you need resilience you know we you, you talk about that as part of kind of the seven skills right um
0: mm-hmm. you
1: need you need resilience um to start a company because you're gonna get more no's than yeses for investment you're gonna get people hating on on your product um, a lot as well as kind of loving it it's very kind of up and down and you know there's been this extra layer of mental resilience that you need to work alone and not have people responding to you and not be able to meet people and get in front of them and like doorstep them and you know chase those customers down it's difficult and I think that they have shown to me this year that it is possible and it's possible to pivot and
0: it's possible and I really admire that. I think that's a very good point to wrap up on. I think a lot of people have uh, exactly, as you said, shown a huge resilience and I think more than, more than ever this year, we've seen that even when the going gets tough, there's opportunities to be had and I think that's still true in investment as well. So thank you very much for your time today. It's been really great chatting to you and we'll see you next time on Disruptors. Find out more about the Entrepreneurship Institute, visit www.kcl.ac.uk forward slash entrepreneurship.